You're listening to Rosie Cole's Vaudeville Broadcast. This program may contain adult content, so if you're under 18, please either get permission or switch it off. Good evening, podcast listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Rosie Cole's Vaudeville Broadcast. And uh, today, I'm with someone very special. Uh, I'm with uh, Annelou Larkin. Hello. <laughs> I do not speak like that normally. But... <laughs> well, on stage you do. I do, but I cannot do that for a whole fucking hour. Huh? <laughs> no. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's really exhausting. What? Well, you have a one-woman show where you do do it for an hour. I do. Yeah. It's exciting. That's but really it's, different right when you're on, it's different when you're on stage. No. Yeah, it yeah. is. Definitely. And there's audience members I can pick on. <laughs> Well, you can pick on the podcast listeners, but they wouldn't necessarily respond right now. Yeah, it wouldn't be that fun. <laughs> it would not be that fun. So, um, for the people out in the world who may not have seen you on stage, who have not been fortunate enough to Disgusting see you... Disgusting bastards. Yes. Yeah, who haven't been fortunate enough to see you perform. Poor, poor, poor. I feel people. very, very sorry for them. <laughs> I do, I genuinely do. Yeah. Uh, what is it that you do on the stage, Annalou? Uh, well, I, um, I do a number of things. I... Play the accordion and I sing naughty songs with a ridiculous <laughs> French accent. Um, I have a character, Anne Lou, who is very silly, and um, yes, and I and I write my own sort of ridiculous songs. I like to think that I get away with it because I'm small and cute, <laughs> but generally the songs are pretty disgusting. <laughs> it, 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 it works. So obviously, the character, especially the French. Part mm. of Annalou did not evolve from nothing. She didn't just sort of like spring fully formed mm. from your brain one day. Um, when did you first get involved with sort of the world of performance? Because some people had an introduction very early on and some people just see it when they're about 18 and like, I want to do that. Where where did it come for you? Um, I think I was very young. I always performed as a little kid. I did lots of drama drama workshops as a child um, where I would do end of term shows and my granny would say Anna's the best one the rest of them are shite <laughs> um, and I got a lot of confidence from that and cause I was a really really shy child um, I was like obnoxious shy to the point of being obnoxious and so my mum forced me she actually had to force me to go to drama classes the first time um, but as soon as I started I sort of realised okay this is this is quite fun um, and I, so I carried on doing that as a teenager. I did it a lot at university. I studied French at university, um, but always did a lot of drama. And then I trained in theatre in France. So I guess I've always felt that theatre and French for me have always been very, very linked. Um, and after leaving drama school, I, well, drama school is probably not entirely true um but after leaving the theatre school I was at I worked a lot for a company doing a lot of theatre in French so again it's always I've done a lot of French language theatre so I guess the character kind of it kind of it was almost it made sense Mm. I was already performing in French I'm much better at improvising in French than I am in English so I kind of yeah it was quite a natural quite a natural progression really I think but I think I think with a lot of performers like if you're a performer you're a performer 
and you mm. do it because you have to do it because it's not something that you would do if you didn't have to do it. So I think for most of us, I think it's been there all along, one or the other. That's so true. Performance isn't exactly. I think we've definitely mentioned this before on the podcast. It's not an easy path. And if no, you could do something not. that was easier and more lucrative, yeah. you'd probably do if it. If I could do anything else. I'm totally unemployable now, though, as anything else. There was possibly... <laughs> no, I possibly had a chance. I think there was a window where I maybe could have um, done something sensible. but or like linguisty or... Yeah, something like that. Translator. But yeah, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I've, I've, you know, I am, I am steeped in so far or something that, yeah, no, there's nothing I can do now. But well, I wouldn't want you to do anything else. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> That'd be rubbish. <laughs> rubbish. God, the poor people. Oh. So when your mum went, sent you to drama classes, was it? Do you think it was to like remedy the shyness? I, that was that was a big part of it. I think um, I was I was I was very academic and very shy and just a bit annoying. I think. And I think <laughs> and we'd we'd moved house and I think I dealt with it quite well. But I think she saw that there was something creative that I wanted to do that I couldn't. I was eight or nine I couldn't necessarily express so I think she she had seen it and I my little eyes lit up and I think she thought that was a good idea and she was absolutely right and mum mum knows well done mum yeah no mum did a good job sometimes mum doesn't know (laughs) all these people who go I wish she'd sent me to blah 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 when I was x years old yeah I think it's very easy to say that I mean I think and there was a point when I was like, oh, I wish I'd been more pushed to do it because you never pushed me yeah, to do anything. Yeah, I feel exactly the like, same way. I wish, oh, I wish I wish I'd been pushed to do so. And actually, I think in a way I feel like I've kind of found things a bit more organically and it's taken me a while. I'm quite, I'm not, um, I'm not 21 anymore. I think it's taken <laughs> me a wee while to get to where I am now. And if I'd got my act together, uh, literally... A lot longer. I could I could have done that, but I think it's quite nice in a way to have got somewhere a bit more well, naturally. Yeah, and it's also quite nice to have a bit of social life. Yeah, like that. beforehand. Yes, we do all right with that. Enjoy all the other aspects. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there are other important things. There are definitely. Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I think I still think that work is probably at the sort of high in terms of priorities. Yes, I think most performers I speak to place work and the creation of work very very Mm. highly because it's part of their identity to make something creative and if Mm. you stifle that part of your identity you feel like there's there's something there's part of you missing in a way so to to place work highly is almost to be like well I'm just being myself that is yeah I think it's true I think perhaps with other jobs it's less Mm. it's less part of you you'd sort of you work to live or whatever but I think because as a performer there are many sacrifices you have to make in terms of lifestyle and standard of living and stability and stuff that you Just do social it, hours that everyone is, else keeps yeah exactly. it has to be part of you and well, the thing the things that we get because weekends are so ingrained aren't they weekends are like it's so ingrained so we can but as a performer it means nothing like, was a weekend is almost the opposite. Weekend yeah, it's like work, work time. Yeah, yeah. Friday night, Saturday night, you go out and you work. It's yeah. not, not. It's when you do all. This, it's when you do it at the same time though. Because I was because I do a lot of work in schools as well, and it's just it's just how things work. That it's always when I've got the most work in schools during the day that I've got the most work in the evenings as well. So sometimes you'd like to spread it around a bit, but it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, and you have to take it when you can get it because that's. 
it can it can get scary which is why when the work is there you have to take the work and yeah. that's why you will be finding yourself getting up at five o'clock in the morning entertaining the children smelling of gin I don't smell of gin when I enter I'm actually really really sensible when it comes to kids shows um, <laughs> but then and then and then running off somewhere else and then running and, blah, blah, blah. and it's but it's great I mean I I like that I like that kind of um really intense busy 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 thing um and then being able to go for a bit mm. but I can't go for that long because then I get really antsy and start thinking that I should be working and why yeah. am I not working? Yeah, yeah. Sort of the, the I think we were talking about this earlier yes. before we turned the mic. It was about yes. enforced enforced breaks and being like, definitely going to take a break now. Yeah, yeah. It's a and break. then as soon as you start <laughs> taking a break, you're looking at everyone else going, why am I gigging? Working? Why am I not yeah. taking a gig? Everyone's going to forget me. And I do, and I do think that a lot of that is social media, though, isn't it? Because oh yeah. Well, because it's everyone. You're not going to post stuff unless you are feeling that you're busy, and so people will always make you feel that they're working really hard, and it's because you only post the positive stuff and it's it's narrative spin isn't it you can put your spin on what you're doing and if you want to you can make it sound like you're having a marvelous time and i think it's really easy when you're so sort of bombarded with what other people are doing yeah. it's really easy to start feeling like oh shit i should be doing other stuff but you know what cuz i've got quite a wee a quiet week this week and i'm i'm trying to enjoy it the performance side of things begins to make mm. sense when you talk about your mum sort of to sort of cure this chronic shyness <laughs> that made you obnoxious in your words yeah, <laughs> as a child. But um, where did the French come in? I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think it was possibly slightly accidental. I was quite good at it at school and it was just one of those things, I think, that I was quite good at it. So I thought, well, I'll stick with that. Mm. <laughs> um, and... I think there was lots of things that I thought about doing after school, but I I liked the idea of languages and I, I've always liked sort of different ways of communicating with people. and uh, But at that time, I mean, I really stopped, I struggled with speaking French because I liked reading it, I liked listening, and but I, in terms of my spoken French, I was really, really bad. And that only came a lot later, actually. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it was just something at school that I was quite good at as a subject. And sometimes when you're younger, you don't really you're like, oh, I'm good. At, oh, I'll just do that. And then it just kind and of the teachers see someone who's good at yeah. what they like to teach, and they go, oh, you. Oh, you're really good. Yeah, I will groom you. You're like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'll do that. And then someone's paying attention to you. So like, oh, oh, I, oh, must I think be, I'm good. Yes, I'm a genius. Attention. Blah. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's quite easy. Um, so yes, I, I kind of so I studied at uni because I wanted to go to uni. Cause that was quite important to me. Um, Why um, more traditional university rather than drama school? I yeah, and again that was I'm not. It was a choice because there was mm. other. It was definitely something that I thought. Oh, maybe I would go to drama school, um, but I. I felt that I would. It'd be a, a wider range of experience if I went to a traditional university. Um, I would meet more people. I would still have the opportunity to do drama, um, but I wouldn't be. I've had, you know, I think I had a friend that said to me, "Oh, you're too young. If you audition now, you won't get in." And sometimes that's all it takes as well <laughs> to be like, "Oh, oh yeah, oh, oh maybe you're right. Maybe I am." Um, it's so funny because I know several people who auditioned at eighteen and were turned away by drama schools, saying you basically just need more life experience. A lot of drama schools you. do like you to be, but and to be honest, even when I did train, I um I did a year at Lecoq in Paris, and it was grand, 
But I feel like if I had gone, if I went there now, I would have got so much more out of it. Mm. Having actually worked professionally and actually knowing myself and not being a terrified kid, I think I would have got a lot more out of it. So I can kind of, I can kind of see that. I can definitely see that. Yeah. How did you find your experiences at university where you were studying something that wasn't performance, Mm. but you also loved, but doing sort of performance on the side? Did you do cabaret style shows or did you get involved in drama societies or... (laughs) I did, I did a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan. In fact, in fact I, did, I was yeah. I was I was the librarian of the Oxford University Gilbert and Sullivan Society. The librarian. The librarian, uh, which just means you've got a lot of old shitty scores in your flat in a big box. Um, but yeah, no, I I did I did mainly that sort of thing, and um, I I won Rear of the Year, um, from the. Gilbert Sullivan Society. Yeah, there you go. I'm making a face. There you go. Um, <laughs> Podcast listeners who can't see me, I'm making a face. It's a very uh, scandalised but also intrigued yeah, face. They're really um, sexually uh, progressive in Oxford. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was... Uh, no, I had, a, I had a really nice time and I did... But I did... Maybe it's a comfort thing, but I kind of found that I had a really nice time doing that sort of work. So I did a lot more of that than I did sort of straight theatre shows and stuff like that um, and also the singing and the rhyming and I do feel like I owe a lot of because I, I, I like to rhyme for those of you out there that haven't seen my ridiculous material um, <laughs> I like just rhyming silly things with the longer the word the bear and the more <laughs> disgusting the bear and I think there's that kind of a lot, I think the influence from that kind of Gilbert Sullivan that sort of ridiculous rhyming I think that kind there of is something about deep, your rhymes like, that is so cerebral and that the word you think might be coming is definitely not the word that's going to yeah, come next I do that too much though I I think you can only <laughs> you can only get away with one or two of them and this is the first time I put together a whole hour and I, f- I do it in quite a lot of the songs I'm like maybe maybe into, <laughs> maybe take away one but they do, if, if they laugh they laugh it's fine um but yeah so that was mainly I did I did a lot more of that sort of thing than sort of straight theatre. I would certainly. never have thought Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, I was P- Pity Sing, Iolanthe, all, all the best mezzo-soprano roles. Amazing. <laughs> um, being someone like Oxford, it's got its, you know, it's got its whatever. And I coming from Glasgow and... I was going to say, you don't exactly have the uh, traditional Oxford no, accent I, to your I, voice. Well, no, I don't. And I'm, like, and I'm not the traditional... I mean, I was the first person from my school to apply... Um, really, your whole school? Nobody had ever applied to Oxbridge before in my wow. school. I think, and you can tell a lot of people that go there. They've obviously they've been groomed for a young age, and that's the place. So, would you credit that experience of Oxford with giving you that sort of get up and go to start creating your own work on the cabaret circuit, or did it come a bit later? Um, perhaps it did come. I feel like it was. It did come quite late for me to start writing my own material. Um, and I don't know, I don't know why that is. I always wrote loads of poetry. I was always really into rhyming. Um, I think songwriting's kind of like the socially acceptable uh, face of writing poetry. <laughs> and um, I, yeah, I don't know. To be honest, in terms of writing my own material, I mean, I will very much that was Cabri Roulette. I mean, I work sort of regularly with Cabri Roulette. And it's come up before. On this it's podcast. come up with. I'm sure you know. It's come up a lot of times on this podcast. It exists. It's marvelous. Go. 
Um, Welcome to uh, episode nine of the podcast, and you'll hear the producer of Cabarula explain what it is. Yeah, so I'm not going to explain it, because that would be tedious and pointless. And there's um, a whole hour explaining what it is. But it's really, and it's, and, it's such, and it's such a wonderful concept, and it's brilliant, and for me, certainly, the first time that I did it, I hadn't really written any of my own stuff, but it really pushed me. And I think a lot of artists need a little bit, and we were talking about this earlier, you need... Um, you need a brief, you need someone to say, if someone says to me, write this for that, blah, 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 then you'll do it. Um, by this date, you will have to be on stage performing a song to this theme. If it's eight weeks away, the next six weeks will be spent probably sitting around in your pants. You will do the it. last two weeks, writing furiously. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it will happen. Whereas if someone it'll be says, great. Better than doing a little bit every yeah, week. Sometimes it's just like, Write, write a nice song. You're not going to do that because it's, yeah. So I've been, I've, I've found it really good to have like, it's enough of a push without, like there's pressure, but it's not horrible pressure because it's immensely doable. Like you can, yeah, you can write a song in two months, in a month. It's, of course you can do that. But just having that end point, I think is really important for me. Once a month having to come up with brand new yeah. songs for a live performance. Yeah, and you have to do that. So I think I think that was really that was really the kind of the kind of point where I started really writing stuff and creating stuff. So so yeah, it's been very important for me. Mm. Certainly. It seems to be quite an important show on the cabaret circuit that keeps coming up. Yeah, I think it well, I think maybe it's the people I interview. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's all the people that I'm like. You're interesting because you come from Cabaret. But I think no, no, but I think I think there's a certain because I know a lot of performers wouldn't touch that short sort of show with a bar show, which is fair enough because they want to be entirely in control. They want to be doing something that they've done for years, and that's that's absolutely fair enough. And um, but what's great about roulette is that there's a wee bit of seat of the pants about it, but at the same time, it's still quite a high pressure environment. It's still everything needs to be entirely stage-worthy at a proper performance level. It's not scratch, it's not you rock up, you try something out, it's things have to be at a certain level. So I think there's a certain amount of pressure that a lot of artists are attracted to. And it, it's, forced, it's forced a lot of people to kind of come out of their comfort zone and sort of do something a bit different. And I think that's a really, a really important thing. It pushes you into a place that you didn't think you would ever go yeah exactly but actually when you get there you might find something really exciting yes i think there's a lot of people that have got acts now that they would never have thought of before but now exist and it's and it's exciting and i think it's very exciting and you become a richer performer for it yeah exactly even if it falls flat on its face you've tried something you never thought you would try and you've learned something from it failures are important too aren't they Oh, that's very Samuel Beckett. <laughs> try, fail. Try again. Try fail again. Fail. fail better. Lose your legs. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love Samuel Beckett. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think, but I think it is. I think it's um, it's important for all of us because I think we can all get into a rut and you can, and, and it's fine and it's hard because when it is a job, you you have to make a living. So, so many times that I get booked for things and. I think, oh, maybe I should do that new song, and I'll try, and I'm like, ah. and I rock out the same old shit because I know it works, and it's, um, so sometimes it's quite, it is nice to be forced to do something a bit different. Mm. It's good for all of us. So, you were at Oxford, studying French, 
And then where did the opportunity to study theatre in France come from? Was that just something that was part of your course or did you have several options and you chose that one or where, um, where did that pop up? I mean, I did it, I didn't, I did it after, so it wasn't anything to do with my course. Oh. Yeah, because I know we're talking about sort of friends of ours oh, that had done it like as a year abroad. No, no. <gasps> I did my year abroad in Brest, um, in Brittany, teaching kids. So it, France. So France. Brittany, I mean, Brest is horrible. Brittany's lovely, <laughs> but it's, no, it was, a, it was, no, it's not fair. It's a beautiful city. It's not a beautiful city. It was <laughs> bombed mercilessly during the Second World War. Um, and then rebuilt in like a day, so it's it's a bit like Coventry. It's got that sort of vibe to it. Having gone to Warwick, and understand exactly what you're kind of talking yeah. about. No, there's anything wrong with Co- Coventry. Is marvelous. Also. Coventry um, is. There's a reason they send people there when you think they're dicks. Um, <laughs> Coventry's fine. Coventry's, Coventry's, Coventry's fine. Um, <laughs> but yes, no, cause no that, well, that's what I, that's where I spent my year abroad. Um, no, it was it was a few years after I graduated that I went teaching to Lecoq. children. Was that again? Was that a choice, or was it more of an it was excuse an to get out to a different country? It for was a just year? yeah. It was just it was a straightforward British council. What most people did, I wasn't at that point. I was very reluctant to sort of poke my head above the parapet and sort of do anything a bit different. So yeah, I was just. I did what was supposed to be But in the end, I just met lots of English people and um, we had our little English ghetto and we went to the Irish pub all the time <laughs> and we just drank a lot and talked English and I wasted an entire year. Impressed. An entire wasted breast year. Yeah, <laughs> it was a shame. Um, yeah, so it was only, it was, uh, it was after that I went after. When I graduated straight away, I went... I went straight to Paris, in fact, and I lived in Shakespeare and Company bookshop for a few months. Uh, so you kind of, you live above the shop, you work in the shop, you write your autobiography, um, you chat up sexy American writers. Um, <laughs> it's it's marvellous. And then you, you like, and you have like your bread and your salami hidden underneath benches and then all the tourists go at midnight and then you bring out and you drink red wine from jam jars it's it's it was it was quite wonderful it was exactly how you would think it would be very self-consciously bohemian <laughs> um but marvelous for it like Sounds really, theatrically magical it was very it was very magical but then it got a bit difficult because I, I got i think i had a really bad cold and i remember being on which i thought I thought of it as my bed. I was in my bed. I've got cold. It's the middle of the day. And these tourists came in. They're like, oh, my God, that's so adorable. Look at her. She must, like, live here. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, yeah, I do live here. Uh, it was... So I, I kind of left. But it was... But it was... <laughs> you kind of left. I, or you actually I left. Did. No, I left. <laughs> so that was... Yeah, so, so that was... As soon as I graduated, I went straight to Paris. But when I was there, I met a girl who was studying at Lecoq. And I was like, oh, actually, that's kind of what I should be doing I kind of want to have a bit more focus and come back out here with a bit more focus um but it was another year I worked a year what did I do I did some science uh science communication in schools so I I was a B 
I was called Buzzy and I went around schools in Scotland being a big uh, Buzzy Bee and we taught them about pollination. It was very adorable. It's really funny. You're the second person on the podcast who said they spent some time being a bee. No way. The first person was Carmen Monoxide. Carmen Episode four. Where was she she a bee? She was being a bee for a uh, a company in the UK (laughs) uh, doing performances in old people's homes and one of the characters was a bee. She'd be a good bee though. She was a very good bee, and she was thinking about how she does like to be beside the seaside. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's... Old musical songs to old people who may or may not understand what's going on. It was a good episode, that one. Uh, Episode four, Carbon Monoxide. (laughs) I think that's really hard work, though. I think old people's homes are really... Like, I think even more so, because I mean, I do a lot of schools, and that can be hard. But old people's homes, that's... I enjoyed being a bee. It was fun. We had nice kids. They, they thought I was great. Busy. Busy the bee. Um, but yes, yeah, so I did that for a bit. And then I um, I worked at the Edinburgh Dungeon for a bit. and Which is like the London Dungeon, but in Edinburgh? It's kind of the same, but in Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah. So it's all um, it's like Birkin hair and Sweeney, not Sweeney Todd, the other one, Sonny Bean. It's like the old cannibal. <laughs> Sorry, for those of you who obviously can't see, I was doing... My She's my cannibal, cannibal my cannibal face. <laughs> <laughs> obvious cannibal face. Um, Sweeney Todd's London, but Sonny Bean. Sonny Bean. Sonny Bean. So Sonny Bean was a cannibal who um, apparently lived in the Galloway region of Scotland, and there was a whole family of them. They were like disgustingly inbred and terrifying, and it was said that they used to catch travellers and eat them. And there was a whole family of sort of Sonny Bean. Sonny Bean was like the father of this disgusting like progeny. A and cult. Like a cannibal cult. Yeah. And yeah, and so we had this marvellous I think it must still be there. And there was like chains that we used to like sewing off. I made a woman throw up. That was my in fact perhaps my career highlight to date. I made a woman throw up. I, I was a statue for a bit. I did like kind of like a mechanical doll thing. When did that happen? Um, I used to live, I lived in Whitby, North Yorkshire for two years. Yeah. And during the summer, I I, went, I moved to London two and a bit years ago. So before that, I was living in Whitby. And I used to do a sort of mechanical doll. So I, and I used to do this thing on the pier. And it was brilliant because as long as you've got a decent costume and you can sort of, you've got reasonable physical sort of control then they just thought I was an actual fake thing. It was brilliant. <laughs> like, is, is it real? It's not real. It's not real. It is, it is great. And that was, quite, that was quite satisfying, actually. Because like, oh, it's not real. Except when they try and, like, poke you and, like, put chips in your hat and stuff. It's really funny when people touch you thinking you're not a real physical human yeah, being that's... and then they come into contact with human skin which doesn't feel like any other material Size in the whole world weird. yeah and they freak out mm. so i do not need to eat this. you were in glasgow being a bee being a bee in glasgow. and then something happened and then you became a living statue in whitby what went on in between <laughs> <laughs> those two events happening? You made a woman throw up and it was the best time of your life. That was marvellous. And yeah, then that. somewhere between that and um, Statue and Whitby, what happened? something happened. Um, I was in Paris before I was a bee. That was it. I broke my foot um, before I was a bee. And I was completely... Because when you're self-employed, like if you're injured, you're completely useless. You can't mm. do anything. And it's really, really grim. So the joint temping agency and sit in reception for months. Mm. 
I was, I, I, was, I was just completely useless and I was just like hobbling around. But I really made an effort to not let it ruin me. So I went to the Edinburgh Festival and was like watching shows and like getting really drunk and like hobbling around and like falling all over the place in my crutches. So you went to, went to Oxford, you went to Brest in Brittany, right, which then... was a waste of a year apparently. No, it was, um, it was I, marvellous. I imagine it wasn't a waste. Then you went to Paris and lived in a very bohemian bookshop and mm. then realised that actually that wasn't the path your life should take. Then I was... No, then you went back to then the... I, then I was the dungeon person. Glasgow and you went to the dungeon. Yeah. So then I went to Lecoq after the dungeon. That was it. Before so I made a my... woman throw up and you were like, this is my calling. <laughs> Let's my... go to Lecoq in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of wanted... Because actually, I've always been really um, on board with text and with words. And I'm, I can memorise scripts, like, quite scarily. Like, and I... I I love words and obviously I write a lot and I'm quite verbose and um, I think I really wanted to kind of break away from that a little bit so it was a bit of a perverse thing I wasn't going to Lecoq because it was where my strengths lay I was going there because it was where they didn't and so, so I, I wanted is... to get that kind of physical um, so thing he's... that I felt that I lacked yeah he's come up a couple of times on the podcast I'm yeah. gonna ask you right now he's pan breed to be the one person who explains. Who is Jacques Lecoq? What is his school? What is his thought? What what does he do? Um well he's dead. So yeah, he's so like so and actually and actually to be honest, in terms of the school, I don't I don't want to be mean about the school. Um but I think I think it struggles because he is no longer with us. Um I think it does struggle because I think everything that he was standing for is very much taking risks and progression and play and all that sort of thing but I think because now he's not there but there's people trying to keep his whatever there in the school um but I guess they're probably scared to let any sort of natural sort of organic progression happen because they have to keep it to this this very specific thing because he's not there because he's not there exactly so he's not there to think so I it's so I think it's I think it's I think being there now is very different from being there when he was alive, um, and and I think it's, and I think it's a shame because I think a lot of his teaching it is very much about playing and everything coming, things coming from the body and coming that's where they come from and the words only come when they're necessary and they come mm. sort of after that and everything comes from here, um, but I mean there's a lot that I've taken from it and just that you know we don't do things for ourselves and I think that was. Because I mean, I read his book before I went out there, and I really like the idea that it's not theatre, it's not therapy for the actor, you know, it's very much, it's for the audience, and it's always, that's what you, and yeah, and it was, and it was, and it was very brutal in many ways, like, we, we would create a, a new piece every week, and you would show it, and so you would do, oh, everyone got really nervous, and you'd show it, and then if it wasn't working straight away, then the tutors would be like, ah, okay, merci, bon. And, and they wouldn't even let you finish it, which always seemed really unfair because it was like, well, we've got the next bit's really good. But in actual fact, there's a really good point there. It's like, if you have not grabbed us by now, then it doesn't function. Mm. So if you've not grabbed us by now, then yeah, okay, merci. It doesn't function. It will never function because you haven't grabbed us yet. So even if the next bit was great, 
then which is I think it's a double-edged sword isn't it because it's a good lesson to learn but equally if you are learning then you kind of also want them to see the other bit so they can then give their feedback on the other bit so it's it's a tricky it's a it's it's a it's a complex place I think she's tricky but very I met some very lovely people there and it was a really interesting year spent certainly mm. So what was the course? Was it a master's? Um, no, but... Or was it a postgraduate sort of training Yeah, it's a very, it's a very... It's not accredited, it's French. It's not really, <laughs> it's not... Um, it doesn't really exist in kind of like our sort of cognizance of what sort of academic qualifications. It's just its own, it's its own kind That's of thing. really interesting. So you did... Oxford University and then he spent some time working in the real world and then he went to Lecoq and then he came back. Obviously as a performer we all need something to boost our income mm. in these uh, these hard times. These hard times. These hard, hard times. Um, do you, what, what do you do when you, I don't know, when when you're, when performing isn't your main source of income, mm. what what do you do to supplement that? Because I mean I do a lot of teaching and stuff and I, I mean because I... When I, again, my timeline is, it's all skew if I, after I was broken and then I was a B, yeah, so I did, I did Edinburgh Festival, I sort of, that was the first time that I sort of thought maybe I could do some cabaret stuff, um, and I did bits and pieces, and then I, and I was busking on the Royal Mile as well, and then I just oh, got, yeah, okay, yeah, so listeners, Anna Lou plays the accordion, hey, when did you pick that up? <laughs> That's not the accordion. It's amazing. Um, I love the accordion. The thing is, I'm entirely self-taught, so probably technically I do some really dodgy stuff. I mean, I I do what I think sounds okay. Um, so so when when did you pick up the accordion um, in this whole? So after it was just after I broke my foot when I was just recovering, I thought I just thought it'd be interesting because I play the piano in any case. I really liked um, I like the idea of busking. Well, obviously with the piano, that's really difficult. So I thought, well, I, I could get something that would be really good to busk with. Um, and I got the accordion. And so that that summer, I sort of did some busking at the Edinburgh Festival, despite the fact that I literally had the accordion for a week. And I had no idea how to use it. And I was just like, Mrah. um But I think it was quite nice. I think, you know, the will to perform sometimes... If you've got the will to perform before you even have the skill, the skill comes later, as long as you actually make sure you work on getting the skill. Um, but it was at Edinburgh Festival that, and I sort of thought, oh, yeah, I'll do cabaret, that'll be really fun. I want to get into that. Um, but that Edinburgh Festival, I got this email out of the blue about an addition, an addition for a theatre company in Yorkshire um, doing the French language theatre. And so I went down, like, in full festival mode, I was still in like a sequin dress and I turned up in this like little tiny little village on the moors with this sort of railway children train station <laughs> with my accordion and my bad sequin dress, big hungover eyes like Merlo, give me a job. Um, and they did because that's how they roll. Um, and to be honest, and I've worked, I mean that was a long time ago, and I worked solidly for that company for a good few years, and I still work with them now because, I mean, they're really marvellous. It's um, a chap called Peter who essentially taught me how to not be shit 
like, I mean, I, I, mean, I say I trained at Lecoq, but really he's the person that kind of taught me. He, um, he's an old street performer. He's, he's very much in that kind of, sort of that sort of vein of quite European sort of style theatre. Sort of lots of tricks, lots of physical comedy, um, a lot of comedia and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I, I sort of worked there for a very long time. Um, and it's been really, really, really sort of awesome experience learning how to do shit and yeah, I don't know. I just um, so do you feel like with the accordion and after all your training and beginning to get this job with the TIE Theatre and Education yeah. Company, is that where this character that we know now of Anna Lou is sort of beginning to take? Yeah, shape? I think I think already. I think because um. With the Flying Theatre, who I work with, um, I everything's in French, it's all French language, um, and because it's got a very street style to it, there's a lot of improv. Um, so you, and when I first started, I would find it very difficult because you're kind of forced to think on your feet. And Peter, he likes he'll go off on sort of tangents and like whatever, and I was very much sort of I had to kind of ah, and so now, I come up with stuff more instantly in French. So it, it comes to me more naturally. Like if I, I've done it before when I've been doing a, a play in English, um, but I've had to kind of deal with uh, something unusual. And my first, my automatic reaction is to deal with it in French because that's how I kind of, how I kind of do. So when I started, started doing cabaret, it kind of just made a lot of sense to kind of keep a French character. It felt like a really, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a kind of a shield. It kind of makes me feel like I'm very much not myself. Even though actually the character is not really a character at all. Like she is just <laughs> she is just me. Um, she really. I mean, she really is. It's just <laughs> that's it's, quite a dangerous thing to say. Well, I don't thinking know. about the kind yeah, of things you think about. Yeah, but I don't. But I don't think the character doesn't really endorse a lot of the things I think. Of. Well, I don't. I don't know. I just feel in terms of the presentation of the character, it's more my stage persona than it is. A character that's completely removed from myself. I don't yeah. see it as this character that's completely removed from myself. When I see you on stage, and I'm sure a lot of people see you on stage, they don't feel like you're an actor playing a part. They mm. feel very much like they're meeting an authentic person. Mm. Actually, when I first saw you perform, I was like, is she French? <laughs> I can't tell. Uh, my reactions, a lot of my reactions are sort of in French. And it's, you know, and I'm very, very lucky because I think a lot of people, they sort of study something. And then they don't get to use it, or um, and I still get to use the thing that I was passionate about back then. I still get to use it all the time, and it's and it's exciting, and I feel yeah, no, I feel quite sort of connected with it, and I like ah, but I I, I do it, and I would quite like to start doing other characters, and you know, and sort of branching out a little bit, because um, I th- I think people have come to expect. I've I've spoken to people about this before, but I think people have come to expect something with Cabbie Roulette, where it's a very, there's a formula of the song that I do and the character I do, blah, 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 and that's great, and that's lovely, but I feel now that I want to start doing different things. And mm. So what was your first cabaret gig? First cabaret well, it's kind of hard. Hard to pin down. It's hard to pin down because, well, I don't like to talk about it. When I was a student, <laughs> when I was, You don't have to if you don't want to. When I was a Entirely student. Entirely optional on the podcast. Um... I'm not going to mention who else was involved, um, but when I was a student, we did have we so we so we we had a, like a student we did a student cabaret burlesque show, and it was fine. I think essentially we were trying to 
subvert a genre without having mastered it. So we thought, oh, burlesque, that happened, that's interesting. And so there was uh, an Edinburgh show that I was involved with um, that might have got a review that said it was possibly the most excruciating hour on the fringe. I really cling on to that possibly because... <laughs> so, so really, I had I had done that and, that, and that was years and years ago, but doesn't, I kind of feel like it doesn't really count in a way. Um, but I did, when I first came to London, or if I, even just before I actually moved here, I did Soiree Pompette, um, which is a lovely, lovely night, um, all French language cabaret. So it's a wee bit, it's got a kind of TIE element, but for adults, because there's wine and baguette and <laughs> camembert, and it's marvellous. Um, and that was really nice, cause I, and I used to sing Edith Piaf songs. And it's still going um, well. And it still goes, it's a, it's a really nice night actually. Um, it's definitely worth anybody going to, it's lovely. Um, but I, I sort of started doing like EDPF and stuff like that, and because I was speaking French, then I think it just made sense for me to keep being French, even though I was sort of then starting to do my own stuff with Roulette, kind of. So yeah, I think I think it might be a good thing for me quite soon to introduce something a bit more, a Scottish a Scottish character or whatever. But yeah. I yeah, right I would see because I mean I was always very worried about because I I'm a sweary bastard. Um, <laughs> but you I, do that in French anyway. Yeah, but that's but that's a bit. Like, it feels it feels slightly diluted in the French. Yeah, you, you fucking I tell you to fuck off. He's okay <laughs> if I tell you to fuck off that he's not too, that he's not too bad. But um, if I say you can fuck off, you massive bastard. Like I mean I don't know. It just feels a bit. It does feel more aggressive in my maybe it's because it's my natural accent. It feels more aggressive. I guess as an actor. You probably accept that your casting is your casting and what you are as a person, in any case, physically, the space you take up as a person is part of who you are on stage. And sometimes I think it can be quite difficult to accept that. And be like, oh, just because she says it, it's different if she says it, but if I say it, well, it's everything. Um, but it is just part of what performance is, is that your physical... Um, yeah, that that sort of space is, is is part of the act, and it's part of whatever you're projecting, whether you like it or not. So yeah, so and I and I and I know that I kind of say stuff, um, and I rely slightly on <laughs> on big cheeks and big eyes and going, oh. um, but you know that's it's show business, huh? Speaking show business, he's good. So after all your experiences at Lecoq and busking and then getting into theatre and education, studying Soiree Pompette, how did you get picked up by Cabaret Roulette? Um, ooh, Anna Lou sure. is the resident performer. Yeah, that was an accident, to be fair. I, think, <laughs> I, I, don't I love think, that. I'm like, she's amazing, she's the resident performer. She's like, oh, it's a fucking accident. Well, you know? no, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying, cause I, I know that it was not Vivacity's plan to have... Um, a resident performer could think she was very keen that everything would rotate, everything would be very different. Um, but I think it just, I think it just happened because I did, I did the very first one because we'd met at another show and we'd gotten really, really well. Um, and I think we had sort of similar ideas in many ways. I think we both came from a theatre background, so we were both kind of wanting to do something that was a bit different from what was already out there. Um, so she booked me for that very first one, and I just went down really well. And I think it was just, for whatever reason, um, it worked with that audience, with that crowd, with that sort of. Um, well, she was saying the audience for real is more 
cerebral, funny, slightly more yeah, theatrical. They're a funny crowd. They're, they're looking for people to really rise to the challenge yeah. of making something new, which is quite, it's almost like an actor brief. Yeah, they're not mugs. We like, talk about this a lot in episode nine. Yeah, okay. I will, okay, I will <laughs> listen to that. Um, no, they're not, they're not, I've, I've listened to all of them, of course. No, they're, they're not, they're not mugs, our audience. They're really not. Like, they really, um, and they, you can't pull the wool over their eyes. Like, they really, they can tell if you've shoehorned something in or you and I think it's really important especially the regulars I think it's really important that performers do kind of take on the the challenge and do it properly and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a lot to ask a performer to do it really is it's a lot but but it's important that that we do and I think and I think I guess just the nature of what I do probably works quite well with that sort of scenario and yeah so I did, I did, I did the first one and it went really well, and then I got asked back for the second one, and then the audience seemed quite keen that I would come back, and I was asked back, and it's been, I mean, it's been brilliant for me, like, it really has been, it's been um, having that kind of regular thing where I, I need to create something, having a regular night where I know I'm going to be out there, and having wonderful photos, wonderful videos, like, I will have all that every month, and that's really that's quite a privilege so yeah no I've really it's been really quite lovely yeah no I think no, I think it was it was it was very much a sort of a, a progression of she was quite taken by the response of the audience to the first one and then it was just a kind of case of also oh, how do you feel about the I think she very much put it as the audience would like you to be the resident performer how do you feel about that and yeah well that's very nice yeah it's nice I mean it, it, it just makes I think it just makes sense. Like, and I think it has made sense. Mm. Um, and it's nice because it means that I, you know, I've got a bunch of people that have seen a lot of stuff I've done and they're really supportive and that's really nice because I've got my first hour out now, ah, which is terrifying um, and exciting. And it's nice to know that there's people that will kind of come and see me, I guess. Um, and it also means that once a month you have to come up with a brand new act. Yeah, which is... Which is more often than most people have to come up with a brand new act. Yeah. I mean, it, it... Which really pushes you as a performer. It, it does. And it can be quite exhausting. Like, it can be quite exhausting. But <laughs> I, um... I, but I enjoy it. I feel like if... Once I've sat down, it's like anything, though, isn't it? If you just, just sit down and do it... <laughs> like, there's so many things. It's like... Uh, what was it said? It'll t- yeah, it'll take you, like, a month to think about writing a song... And then a day to actually write a song, and that's and that's a little bit. Otherwise, it takes more than a day because my songs are very complex. So I do try to do a bit of research, and I try to make them quite dense and quite involved. Mm. Um, and sometimes I'll do the thing where I'll I can write it in the time, but then I forget that I also have to learn it <laughs> in the time, <laughs> and that's when it all gets a bit. And that's when I get stressed. I will say I have never seen you bring. A piece of paper with words on it on the stage. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream of bringing a piece of paper on stage. Um, on like in a normal roulette night. Because I, I, I mean, I do feel it like with roulette. I kind of feel that's. I think that's it. I think that's not the point with roulette. I think, it does have to be because it is a bit theatrical, and I, I feel like there needs to be, a little bit of theatre in it, and I, and I feel like people need to, learn their shit and. Because it's not, it's not like, it's not like we're doing it in the night. Because we did that in Edinburgh. Um, so we had, we had like a free throw where we had to create something in a night. And that was, I mean, that was, for me, that was the total 
and I did the exact same thing of like I wrote something which was actually fairly good but I couldn't learn it and then I stressed out and I was it was really shit but um yeah, but if you've got 24 hours yeah but, but to make that's it. less than 24 hours and that's, 23 and that's, hours and that's to a make different something. thing whereas with real life normally you've got a bit of time and I think there's no reason there's no reason to be um there's no reason to be like shit like or unprepared like yeah of course if something is new it might just not work you know the first time you do also the first time you do something things will not be quite right but yeah practice and shit <laughs> nothing wrong with that oh it's a lovely show but it's um it kind of it needs everyone to kind of be on their game I think, mm. which is, and it's a lot to ask of people. I think we know we can all get quite used to just um, rocking up and doing our our ten minutes, and that's fine, and that's um, that's what we do most of the time. But it's it's not that, and I think so. It's quite demanding. It's quite demanding of people. Since I've met you, which was basically through doing roulette, mm. how have you found that? Like, how has your sort of performance career gone since beginning to be the regular at cabaret um, good like yeah really good it's um yeah i think i think and i think it's really to have like a residency i think is really good because it means that people know that you're going to be there and they can see you um and that's really cool and you know and it's been um and obviously it's sort of a high profile venue jojo's god rest it's so uh, I didn't want to address it. I, don't want to I wanted to do a podcast just about JoJo's, but then it was too painful. Yeah, and it's, then... it's really upsetting. It's and it, it's really upsetting. Um, but yeah, but obviously, and I think with Roulette, I think and Vasti will admit to this as well, is it because we um, we started off in a fairly high profile venue? I think we had cashy before we had earned our cashy. If that makes sense. Um, just being at JoJo's already, so it's like, and that, but that was nice for us because it meant we got to kind of build, build on stuff. It's all right. I've got, I've got, I've got my, you know, my sort of one person show together now, and and I would never have done that without sort of roulette and having two all years that. of making new material. Oh yeah, once I'll, a month. I'll be honest. I've got one hour, but like I've probably got about three. <laughs> Not all of it's very good, or or entirely relevant. But yeah, no, which is nice because I've got all this material, and that's cool. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's but it's it's always hard. Like it's not it's not easy to make a living from being a performer. It's never and nobody will pretend that it is. So the last yes. question I ask people that I probably should have warned you about. Oh God, I guess. Like, okay. What is the best thing that's happened to you on stage and what's the worst thing that's happened to you on stage? Oh, gosh. Nothing's been that bad. Like humiliating when you were a kid, wetting yourself on stage or... No, I always have a wee before. I always religiously have a wee before going on stage. <laughs> um, you know, I did get really poorly. Um, it wasn't on stage, but it was just... I was at a school and I was, we were just about to go on stage. And the teacher had like given us an introduction. She's like, "Les trois mousquetaires," um, and I'd eaten something weird at lunch, and I was like so sick, and I had to go to the toilet, and I had to, like I'd like run on stage, and like say, "Um, sorry, I'm just gonna nip to it," and like run through like an entire hall full of year eights who were expecting to see me on stage, but instead they saw me going, "Oh, that was a bit embarrassing." I'll be honest, that was that was more embarrassing than most things. 
Otherwise, I have, a, I have a nice time. I have not done gigs in Cadbury. You do gigs where, like, people, um, people aren't expecting you to be there. I think those are the worst gigs when they just want to have a nice time. They're just in the pub or whatever. And then, oh, God, there's someone, someone on stage. So I've done a few gigs where people are like, but, ugh, I don't know. Best thing on stage? I'll be honest, like, last week, was that last week or the week before? Doing, like, a filler on my own was pretty awesome because I was so exhausted. Um, and I'd been in schools all day and I was kind of not quite with it. I'll be honest, I was a massive space cadet. Um, but I think just the achievement of having done that all on my own without anybody else was really exciting that I was quite, when I came off, I was... I was quite excited by it. I made people whole laugh. Hour a whole hour. A loop. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. It was so um, sweaty and wet in that venue as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, it must have been... It was in the vault. In the vault. Romantic. Yeah. Oh, I remember the first time I met you, you were like, I put my accordion on the fire escape of Madame Jojo's. Oh, my God, and then it smelled like piss. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. <laughs> we can keep this in. That's not the worst thing that happened to me on stage, but that's just the worst thing that's happened to me ever. <laughs> Um, oh, God. Was that I'm I, sorry for laughing. It's funny, no, but it's really it's bad. <laughs> it still fucking smells of wee. So I put my cording down in the fire escape at Madden Jojo's God Rest It Soul. And um, I, at the time, I assumed it was human wee. Looking back, it may have been the wee dog Rio. It was adorable, but he's a dog, so, you know, he could have weed in the fire escape. Um, and then I picked my accordion up, realised everything stunk of wee, my accordion was wet, there was obviously wee in my accordion, and it's never been the same since. This accordion, how much would you value it? I don't know, because was, it was a present. Um, I, it's Because I bought my first one for 100 quid second hand. Um, lovely, but a bit sort of wheezy. Um, and then I got this really nice, it's not, it's nothing, it's not stupid, it's not like a stupid amount of money, but it was definitely um, a bit more money than, it still works though, it's fine. It just smells ever so slightly of wee. Did you try cleaning it? I have cleaned it with everything in the world. I, in the end, I've used like pet cleaner for like cleaning pet wee, and that seems to have done a reasonable job. Um, I still wash my hands after I played it. Uh, I feel like there should be a coda to this, which is like Madame Jojo's, which is the founder of all <laughs> the best cabaret friendships. Because I wouldn't have met you if I hadn't done that gig. No, and it's um, and uh, there is something about that backstage area that is really conducive to people chatting and cause, well, it's just really small. I don't know. There was something about Jojo's that felt eternal, mm. and having it shut down so quickly and mm. so brutally and so unbelievably with without any recourse of change mm. it, or nothing yeah. said to anybody that was involved or yeah or um, any of the people that absolutely love it mm. or any of the people that feel like it it's where their career started mm. or it's what makes that whole area great or it's it's so essential to the fabric of London. Oh, that's a sad note to end this on. That's a shame. That's a shame. Because I'm feeling very positive. <laughs> I'm not, actually. I'm feeling really sorry for myself. <laughs> Maybe it's a brilliant... But you're like a relentlessly positive person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 
I mean, that's a brilliant lockdown. That's so hey, but if people media. would really like to see you in performance, where could they go in the nearest future? Say in 2015. I mean, Facebook and Twitter. I am on Twitter. I'm sort of dipping my toe in. I've been really shit on Twitter, but I'm there. And important stuff will be there. Yeah, what's your Twitter link? <laughs> At Anna Lou Larkin, I think. Yes. I'll put it under the podcast. Facebook, if people want to hit you up on Facebook. Anna Lou. Anna Lou. Uh, do you have a website? <laughs> I will do. Your solo show, was it Mimetic? Yeah, it was Mimetic. Um, do you have plans for it? Well, yes, I've got Edinburgh applications this week. <laughs> what a- and Edinburgh Festival 2015 look out for Anna Lula yeah I'll be there she pulling will be my there. hair out I'll be there too drinking a lot probably probably be in the same place yeah, all the time thank you so much for taking the time to thank talk to me with a microphone that's actually on <laughs> thank you for having me it has been lovely that really has been a treat I love your little stubby penis microphone <laughs> I'm keep that he's in. adorable <laughs> listeners thank you so much again Uh, As performers, we would be nothing without you as an audience. Uh, I've been your host, Rosie Cole. You can find me in many places on the internet. You can find me on rosiecole.com. It's my website. You can find me uh, on Facebook, forward slash Rosie Cole Dancer. You can find me on Twitter, at Rosie underscore Cole. Or you can email me about anything you like. Uh, You can email me at rosiecoledancer at gmail.com. Thank you so much and have a wonderful night. I think that was alright, wasn't it?